Kim Moody is here with us now for the Rural News. And Kim, investors are worried about plans to plant forests around the country. Kia ora Charlotte, that's right. It's due to uncertainty about the emissions trading scheme and rules surrounding new pine forests. Under the ETS, those who plant forests earn carbon credits, which they can on-sell to pollution-causing businesses to counter what they emit. Over the last decade, this has led to some large-scale conversion of farmland into forests, and investors have been getting healthy returns when the credits were sold in a government-run auction. But earlier this year, the Climate Change Commission said this was making the country far too reliant on planting trees instead of actually reducing emissions. So now the government is looking at making changes to its policy. The Forest Owners Association President Grant Dodson says as a result, tree planting has come to a shuddering halt. Investor confidence has been absolutely smashed. Forestry is a 30-year investment. It's 10 terms of government. What's happened collectively from that incumbent government, the Labor's campaign, National's campaign, has really shattered the confidence in the industry. So I know that new seedling orders for next year at some nurseries are getting slashed. I know a number of investors that are pulling out of land deals or are certainly not entering into any new ones under the current investment climate. Grant Dodson says that domino effect comes from a drop in bids for carbon credits at ETS auctions, and as a result, they haven't been reaching the government's confidential sale price. Set lower auction settings. Um, that saw a reduction in the carbon price. Since then, we've had two failed government auctions. We've then had a significant halving of value in the carbon credit market. Now, one forest company that's affected is Port Blakely. Its managing director, Phil Taylor, says uncertainty about regulations surrounding local forests is a big concern. I've heard anecdotally of a number of investors, both domestic and international investors, who have decided to pull the pin on their investments or their intention to invest in forestry in New Zealand. You know, I'd have to say that in the current uncertain environment, it's not surprising that many investors are having second thoughts and will continue to have second thoughts until there is some certainty that's established. Phil Taylor says billions of dollars could be lost due to confusion about whether investing in forests is a wise move, and the opposition party is adding to the issue. The National Party is talking about putting restrictions on land use conversion of farming to forestry. And so again, that's, that's another um, area that's causing uncertainty and therefore nervousness about continuing investment in forestry. And of course, you know, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that there are more benefits to forestry than simply carbon sequestration. Phil Taylor says growing trees should be a priority for any government as they create sustainable and environmentally appropriate products and have long-term economic gain. The value of wine exports surged to a record $2.3 billion in the year ended May on the back of strong international demand. New Zealand wine growers' figures show the volume show the volume of wine sent offshore was up 20% despite the extreme weather events growers have faced in the past year. Chief Executive Philip Gregan says wine is now the country's fifth largest export good and he says a record harvest is driving the industry's latest success. We had a record harvest back last year which has increased the supply of wine. Wineries have been able to capitalise on that and consumers have bought all that wine 
and more at the end of the day. Consumers overseas love our wine. They are buying more and more of it. And uh, this year we had increased supply, so value of exports has gone up. Philip Gregan says demand for New Zealand wine increased in all key markets, but particularly in the US, where wine exports now earn more than $800 million a year. He says owing to a smaller harvest this year, there will be a tighter supply of wine in the next 12 months, but he says the industry is on track to continue its growth. What we're going to see over the next 12 months, a slightly tighter uh, supply situation. Uh, I think uh, that's probably good for the industry, uh, but I think we'll still see we'll see some uh, growth in value over the next 12 months. It's not going to be the same level as in the past year, uh, but we're looking forward to a, another positive year for our export story. What the industry's achieved over the last few years is pretty impressive. 25% growth in one year is a, a stellar performance, but if we look back over the past decade, the industry's growing year in, year out, and it's a very, very strong performer in export markets. And I think our industry's very proud of the achievement. That's Philip Gregan. To the Hawke's Bay now, the government is contributing another half a million dollars to help farmers and growers recovering from Cyclone Gabrielle. The money will go to Post Your Support, which is a community fundraising campaign helping farmers and growers to fix damaged fences and growing structures. Meanwhile, those farmers still in clean-up mode have had some advice from those who have been through Cyclone Bola and the 2021 Canterbury floods. The Hawke's Bay Regional Council has held a series of rural recovery workshops in the region to provide support for farmers. Council spokesperson Richard Wakeland says there's been lots of workshops and community meetings on the East Coast focused on well-being and recovery, but five recent talks were targeted at farmers with more technical on-farm issues discussed. So there was probably four main themes. So first was around land recovery, dealing with slips and in terms of uh, understanding the um, the science around slips and and, uh, and and how they might recover. Uh, understanding uh, scar and slip tail behaviours. So in terms of what's the length of time that, um, you know, the tail will, will recover quite quickly. Uh, whereas the scar is, is likely to be a more of a longer term impact. We had a session on revegetation planning, so what to plant, where and when. We also invited a farmer from another area that had been impacted by other floods. So in the first couple of workshops, we had Chris Allen from Canterbury talking about his, his experiences with the Ashburton floods. And the last uh, couple, we've had Andrew Stewart from uh, the Rangatikei talking about his experiences in the 2004 and 2015 floods. So uh, they were part of a panel uh, panel session with uh, farmers and also uh, technical farm system expertise from consultants, so Garth Nielsen-Vold uh, and Scott Ridsdale. And then we also had our own local Mark Harris uh, as a bowler survivor, talking about his experiences of, of farming through bowler in, in the late 80s.
Richard Wakelin says most farmers are still fixing fences and reinstating farm tracks. That's been difficult with persistent rain. He says people are very worn down, so the council is hoping to run more rural recovery workshops. And staying with the Hawke's Bay Regional Council, it's welcomed news that the rollout of freshwater farm plans in the area will be delayed. Aimed at reducing the impact farming has on water quality, most farms will need a plan in place by 2025. Waikato and Southland farmers are first in line. They have 18 months from the start of August to submit their freshwater farm plans, which will be rolled out in other regions in due course. Hawke's Bay Regional Council says it's been providing feedback to the Ministry for the Environment, hoping to delay the start of the plans in the region in the wake of Cyclone Gabrielle. It's now likely Hawke's Bay farmers won't need to start developing their plans until 2025. And that's the Rural News for today. Koirate Purongo o te taifenua. Kia ora e hoa, that is our Rural Reporter Kim Moody.